Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4249 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, currently still one of the United Kingdom's leading exponents of meaningless, unnecessary and slightly overlong silences. Yeah, still got it. Uh, I'm in the shed, and the shed is cold today. Uh, but joining me today, from hopefully uh, so slightly less chilly than my shed, well, we have someone old and someone new. Not old as in tumbling into the inescapable moor of senescence and decrepitude. I just mean she's been on the bugle <laughs> for quite a long time now. And not new as in literally born yesterday, or fresh off the factory production where most comedians come from these days. I mean, new to the bugle. Uh, firstly, uh, from Australia, once again, uh, luckily not competing in the Australian Open tennis, so she is able to join us. From Sydney, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Alice. <laughs> uh, hello, Andy. Yes, I, uh, it's ten days uh, since my last birthday. I am beginning crone life right now. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I feel like I could poke people with, with a stick on public transport and no one can <laughs> question it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, I guess, one of the privileges of... Uh, of, of seniority. Can I just say, I, I, I would like to make a statement at this point. Yeah. It's come to my attention that a joke that I did on the gargle also appeared on the bugle. Right. And I would like to address this scandal, this joke-stealing scandal, me stealing a joke from me. First of all, I don't know which joke it was. My policy on podcasts <laughs> is the same as my policy on Zoom calls. I just put a post-it note over my bit so I don't get distracted by my own beauty. Secondly... <laughs> We will never know which one was recorded first and for which show I originally wrote the joke. So is it Gargle Alice stealing from Bugle Alice or Bugle Alice doing a tribute to Gargle Alice? I, c- I could tell you, obviously, but I won't because I refuse to respect linear time or artificial boundaries between work personas and selves. Right. Hello, this is Last Post Alice, and can I say that this is true of Alice's across all podcast dimensions? Cool. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, joke stealing is a, you know, a curse in comedy, Alison. I'm, I'm afraid you're just going to have to sort it out between yourselves. Well, it um, sort of depends on who, which of me is the most famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, this is a controversy that could that could run and run uh, and into this this world of tumult. Uh, for the first time in A, his life, B, the history of all humanity, and C, this podcast, 15 and a bit years of existence, I'm delighted to welcome, after several outstanding appearances on the news quiz, coming to you in a minimum of five dimensions, from South London, it's Ian Smith. Hello, Ian. Welcome to The Bugle. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I guess this is the point where I need to make a statement and say, um, yep. last night I did um, quite a long routine about garlic bread. LAUGHTER um, <laughs> It was very similar to Peter Kay's. Um, right. So, yeah, I guess I'll take that up with him as well. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ian, you uh, you live in, in Peckham, am I right yeah. saying that? Uh, so not, not too far from me in uh, in, uh, in glam- London's glamorous South London area. Uh, originally from Goole, uh, one mm. of the greatest named towns in in England. Yeah, apparently the rumour is it's, it comes from a word that means cesspit. <laughs> Um, like an old sort of word that means cesspit and there's a local historian trying to disprove that at the minute but they they don't have much evidence they're just desperate to not live in a place that's called cesspit basically I I should clarify for our listeners uh, Ian before we get criticised for booking you that you are not the late former leader of uh, Rhodesia Um, 
just just to clarify that, uh, nor are you the former New Zealand wicketkeeper Ian Smith, nor the Australian actor best known for playing uh, Harold Bishop in the neo-Shakespearean rom trage com soap opera Neighbours, nor the film producer whose credits include Mad Max Fury Road, nor the legendary Scottish rugby union player who scored a record 24 international tries in the 1920s and 30s, a record which stood for over 50 years, uh, who remains uh, sadly as dead as he has been now for 50 years, nor Ian Smith, the pseudonym used by Colonel Gaddafi when he entered the World Darts Championship qualifying in 1993, nor Ian Smith, the uh, original name for the crime-busting cartoon dog Scooby-Doo, uh, nor even Ian Duncan Smith, the former leader of the Conservative Party, and hopefully inadvertent quota of the motto from the Gates of Auschwitz. You are none of those Ian Smiths. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd like a more creative name. Um, <laughs> it's difficult with Smith as your surname, because you'd have to put so much creativity into the first name that it would just sound ridiculous, like, <laughs> like Razzmatazz Smith or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's... I mean, that, that could have given you a very different career. I mean, it would have been very hard to be called that and not become a professional jazz saxophonist, I think. <laughs> yeah. We are recording on the 17th of January, 2023. On this day in 1961, the departing US President Dwight D. Eisenhower, three days before hanging up his presidential socks and passing the ceremonial sausage of office to youngster John F. Kennedy, gave a farewell address to the American nation in which he said, Bye! Bye, everyone! See ya! But he also said some words that even today clatter us in the face like a frying pan of first-grade forewarnery and foresightfulness. Uh, the man known by his uh, nickname of Icicle, uh, sorry, Ike, uh, I'm always getting mixed up uh, with Ikes and bikes. Did you know that the full term for a tricycle is actually a Trisenhower? But anyway, uh, Eisenhower said some extraordinarily <laughs> prescient things, including, as we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. And it's good to know that the human race took those words on board and then threw them overboard into the ocean of uh, of practicality. I mean, he, it was an extraordinary uh, speech in which he talks about, you know, not he said uh, we cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. And uh, I don't know if he listens to this show uh, from beyond the grave. Eisenhower. I know most former US presidents do. They just like like to keep up on what, what's what's going on. But he must be f fucking pissed off at how thoroughly those words have been ignored. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. And uh, well, uh, today we have an Antarctica. Uh, a special section in the bin commemorating uh, another anniversary on this day 111 years ago in 1912 British polar explorer Robert Falcon Scott was approaching the South Pole and we've dug into the archives and we can pick up commentary now with Scott very close to the pole on the call 111 years ago expert summariser Fritjof Nansen and with him the BBC's Brian Strapplegreen and here comes Scott. Has he left it too late? He's just yards away from the pole now. Looking tired, and it must be said, really very cold. He's seen off Oates. Out comes the fin. Down goes Evans. It's Scott. Scott's going to lead this team home. Here he comes. The 43-year-old former naval officer in his trademark reindeer, reindeer fur gloves. The crowd are going noisily berserk. It's Scott for Team GP. He's into the red zone. He's out of the pole. And seconds, seconds, just five weeks behind the Norwegians and you can see how disappointed he is to Devonian but it's gold for Amundsen of Norway silver for Scott of Great Britain well Nans a super effort from Scott but you've got to say not quite good enough on the day 
Yes, Brian, you'll be freezing his bollocks off out there. Um, <laughs> don't notice if you get to a pole first. It looks like he's complaining to the referee. Maybe suggesting uh, Amundsen got a uh, false start. I didn't see it myself, but uh, terrific <laughs> polar exploring from both teams. <laughs> yes, dads, and well, we won't be seeing the uh, Bobby Scott swooping falcon celebration today, nor the Larry Oates penguin waddle. It's second for Team Terranova. More analysis on where it went wrong coming soon on the Poles Apart podcast with Fritsch with Fritjof and Ernie Shackleton but too sorry let me do that again more analysis of where it all went wrong <laughs> coming soon on the Poles Apart podcast with Fritjof and Ernie Shackleton uh, to, uh, uh, but thanks for joining us today there's more live polar exploration right now as we cross over to our colleagues at the ABC for live commentary on the Australasian Antarctic expedition Dougie Mawson and the Chillaroos getting stuck into the coldest <laughs> continent on earth your commentary team for this one Nimrod expedition veteran Edgeworth David and leading the call Jim Maxwell so much audio magic happening there, Andy. <laughs> you, multiple accents, background noise, and well, uh, Ian Smith. Don't know. Don't think I didn't notice the absolute professionalism. Uh, <laughs> took a bite of a banana, the most radio fruit. Yeah. Most radio friend. None of this apple chips. Like here it goes, soft, squishy, silent. I am. Um, before you compliment me too much, I'll just show you the other thing I ambitiously put near the recording, which is a punnet of strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute mad decision from me there. <laughs> <laughs> Top story this news. Humanity is being taken over by technology. Uh, we. This is a, a story, uh, Ian and Alice, that we've, uh, we've touched on at various points over the Bugles, uh, Bugles history. Uh, and do you think we've now reached the point in history where the robot takeover, which is obviously now totally inevitable increasingly inevitable if inevitability can indeed increase but it's not something to be feared but something to be wholeheartedly welcomed as potentially a vast improvement on the flounderings witterings and befuddlements of the human race i mean is this now you know should we every time we hear about a story about you know robots dehumanizing humanity we think well good we're looking at the CES roundup, right, yeah. Andy? The, the efforts of tech companies to go viral by creating technology that's either groundbreakingly new and cool or so weird, you're going to tweet about it whether you want to or not. <laughs> uh, like the Withings U-Scan P-Sensor, which is a device that sits at the front of your toilet and you, when you do a wee, apparently it's best uh, to sit down when you do it so you can get an accurate reading. It, it collects the urine, analyzes it, and then sends you the results to your phone via Wi-Fi. Uh, which is great. I think this is all a very positive uh, piece of technology. It'll weed out the toxically masculine people who believe that sitting for wit to wee is only for girls. <laughs> it also replaces the old pee analysis tool where you just get a medieval doctor to rinse some round his mouth and then prescribe bleaches or bloodletting. <laughs> which, of course, I, I never understood why people were like, oh, what terrible doctoring. Of course you're going to prescribe awful courses of treatment. You've got a mouthful of piss. You're only human. <laughs> The only option uh, before this urine uh, analysis, other than the medieval doctor, of course, was that guy who used to lie at the urinals at gay clubs, and he can't be everywhere, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's an extraordinary piece of technology, the, uh, the, 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 the WAS scanner. Um, I mean, Ian, can you see this becoming a you know, big, big part of your, your home, home technology setup? I think so, yeah, but uh, largely because of like the um, the gossip potential. Because if if it's in your toilet, <laughs> when and you have guests around, and then they go to the toilet, and then you'll get a notification on your phone. <laughs> so when they come back down, you can go, oh, 
Steve, you've got chlamydia. I hope um, <laughs> that doesn't put a dampener on the slow-cooked ox cheek that I've done tonight. <laughs> you've come in with a lot of lot of foody stuff here, a punnet of strawberries and a slow-cooked ox cheek. <laughs> that, that's my go-to um, trying to impress people meal. Um, <laughs> slow-cooked ox cheek and a, and a chlamydia diagnosis. <laughs> um, the big two. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a lot of these are sort of um, so. Like I saw solving problems that I'm not really concerned about. There's a, a big thing about a, a wireless TV, and it was saying like gone are the days of like desperately trying to hide your cables. But um, I don't feel ashamed <laughs> of um, the cables from a TV. Like someone's looking at them, going like, Ugh. "You use electricity for that." I'm like, "Yeah, that's how it. That's how it's going." <laughs> I don't feel like just put the TV. I, my rule is put it as close to a plug as possible, and then you're not creating like a sort of um, high-tech um, laser protecting a museum piece style cables going across your living room. It doesn't feel like a um, a big issue for me. Well, I enjoyed the the Citizen smartwatch. It can gauge fatigue. So it's a smartwatch that can tell you when you're tired because that is my favourite kind of tech innovation, which is to say something that we have already got a really good way of doing, but the tech is attempting to render this human function obsolete and it might just succeed. Like, I promise you don't need to look at your watch to realise you're exhausted. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, you just need to remember whether or not you have children, I think. That's, that's basically the, uh, oh, the technology God. that we have. It'd be amazing to be so stupid you don't realise you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> just... How productive you'd be if you were too thick to realise. <laughs> but then you wouldn't As be able so, to do many jobs. I mean, I've, I've got to say, you've either got to be thick or a baby, literally a baby, because I have an argument uh, with my daughter literally every day that goes something like this. You're tired. That's why you're being so awful. Trust me, if you sleep, things will feel better. And she goes, no, you're trying to trick me. Uh, <laughs> That's very much the same conversation that uh, Margaret Thatcher's advisors uh, had with her when she was Prime Minister and took uh, <laughs> legendarily four hours sleep a night. <laughs> so, with disastrous consequences, it must be said. Um, just a, a couple of other things uh, the, that, that um, struck me from the Consumer Electronics Show. A mood fridge. Now, this is a fridge that apparently changes colour depending on your mood i don't know actually i, I just i just read the headline mood i don't know if it's your mood or the mood of the sausages within if you know the sausage fields impending fate closing in on it i'm not i'm not sure is this like those mood rings from the 90s where they just sort of go with your body heat and tell you that you were horny all the time <laughs> which is obvious because only teenagers bought them that's like a sure bet <laughs> You don't have to be psychic to realise that that's what the ring needs to read 90% of the time. <laughs> There's a lot of colour-changing tech. A car that can change colour, which was one of the big innovations. Everyone was very impressed by the car that can change colour, which is another one of those things that sounds good in concept, but you will realise very quickly if you've ever lost your car in a car park. A terrible <laughs> idea. It's a terrible idea. Or are you going to be like, oh, I was definitely on level two and it's a, uh, a red car or possibly a blue <laughs> Sedan, I think if it's Tuesday, I made up a rhyme to remember what colour my car is today. If it's parked on F2, the colour is blue. Oh, no, wait, was it if it's on F2, it's parked, the colour is red? I don't... Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry, wait. If, it, if on F2, it's parkhead, the colour is red. <laughs> it feels like it was designed for, like, getaway drivers only. 
Like the the end <laughs> the end sequence of the Italian job would be so much less impressive if if they would just change the car to green. <laughs> and then the police were like, Well, they've gone. <laughs> Slightly more useful if, rather than just changing colour, it changed vehicle. So you know, we'd go from a car to a, a you know a, a motorbike to a donkey. Uh, <laughs> to, um, you, know, you could just go gradually back in time. Um, I mean, it's not a self-driving pram, though, is it? I mean, that's no, the well, real. No, that I mean that this was the, the the absolute killer product to emerge from this year's CES. That the, the I mean, have you, Alice? Your 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 um, daughter is uh, what, 15, 16 months old. Yep. Um, have Have you ever thought, I wish this pram could <laughs> drive itself? Or not? I mean, well, I mean, first, first of all, it isn't a self-driving pram. Speaking of it not being a self-driving pram, it isn't. It's an electrically assisted pram, which is great right. for people with mobility issues or lots of hills near where they live or remarkably fat babies. But it's <laughs> not... It's not more self-driving than like an e-bike. It won't drive unless it senses that your hands are on the handles. And sure, I'm, I guarantee tired parents everywhere have already thought of six ways to bypass that rule from filling, <laughs> washing up gloves with meat scrap and strapping them to the bar to becoming the vizier just so that you can take the hand of a thief in punishment in order to send baby for a solo roll. But I think what you want is a remote control pram, actually. Right. You don't want one that's got a mind of its own, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this does does feel like scene one in some extremely low-budget dystopian horror film <laughs> in which prams take over the world. I don't trust my baby uh, with autonomous technology. She's really smart. If I send her <laughs> off in a solo pram, she'll come back on top of it, controlling the thing somehow. <laughs> That's step one in Mad Max future. <laughs> Mad, Mad sure. Max Junior. I mean, this is this is a, a movie franchise waiting to exploit. Should be s- strapping safety scissors to the wheels like booty car. <laughs> well, that would be quite good to make these um, self-driving prams into a sort of robot wars style TV show and get get the babies <laughs> battling against each other. <laughs> I mean, it's something that I believe we've lost as a civilization. Ian is the simple joy of watching infants fight to the death. Mm. Um, yeah, this PC gone mad as far as I'm concerned today I was trying to put her down for a, for a nap and she evaded my nap got up and did a little victory dance near my, near my head and uh, then leant over and gave me a benevolent kiss on the forehead which I felt was the most contemptuous touch <laughs> I, I know I'm not going to name their name but I know someone who told their daughter to go on the naughty step and then their daughter uh, wet themselves and basically said, this is what's going to happen if you put me on the naughty step. <laughs> evil genius. <laughs> so she's never been on the naughty step since. It's right. a fantastic way to avoid punishment that I think will probably still work as an adult for certain situations. <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm going to try. You've got to be careful where you wet yourself now. You might get a diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it does sound like this. This small child has a, a lucrative career in corporate finance. Uh, <laughs> ahead of her. Um, uh, well, just on, just back to the was the was scanner, uh, which, as you said, you just you p- put it on the front of your crapstone international. You expel your pedalaggio, and the device scans your excretions and tells you pretty much everything you could possibly need or want to know. But not just about your health, 
it apparently um, uh, in the, the high tech edition um, uh, tells you about your priorities in life your deep seated fears uh, your musical taste, your views on post-Renaissance art and the historical figure you'd most like to play snooker against. Um, I've got a, uh, well, a, a beta version to test out and it turns out that uh, my answers to those in order are The Pursuit of the Groove, The Death of Test Cricket, Blues Madrigal, Unnecessary and Charlemagne the Great. <laughs> so, There's uh, a laser scanner that reads the lumps on the head of your penis and diagnoses your personality. It's frenum- <laughs> frenulomology. <laughs> Um, family show, Alice. Uh, Is that the on. first phrenology joke that's been made on the Bugle? It's definitely not the almost, first frenulum joke. Almost certainly not. I mean, <laughs> we are, what, 550 plus episodes in? Uh, oh no, coming up to 550 episodes. Next week is the, is the 250th episode since relaunch. Um, uh, there must have been a phrenology joke in there, just by the law of probability. <laughs> Even an inadvertent, if you play it backwards, the whole, all 550 odd episodes, there will be a phrenology reference somewhere. Um, moving on to, uh, well, the world of um, robot ethics and uh, uh, films. Um, uh, Ian, you are our robot ethicist, uh, ethics correspondent. Oh, good. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, I've got a promotion. This, uh, highly, highly prestigious uh, posting. Uh, you've been keeping an eye on, on the films that uh, will be, uh, well, are basically telling us what our, our future relationship with robots uh, is. So, so bring us up to date. Yeah, well, there's a film out called, well, I guess it's called Megan, but they've replaced the E with a free, so I don't know how you pronounce that now. Mafregan. I guess. Yes. I mean, generally in this country, uh, I mean, depending on what newspaper you read, you pronounce Megan as uh, witch who is destroying the country and everything we hold dear. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's, you know, that's, uh, I've got to stop reading the Daily Mail. But, uh, but, but anyway, let's, let's go with, with Mathregan or Megan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's a similar sort of vibe, really, because this, the plot of this film is there's, there's a girl, she doesn't have many friends. Luckily, her mum is developing uh, an AI little girl. Um, it's just one of those lucky situations. Um, Hold up. Her mum dies. Uh, her aunt. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, fair enough. She hasn't had a lucky coincidence here, actually. Um, <laughs> she's had a death in the family. Um, almost the opposite of good luck. And, but luckily, her aunt is developing an AI child. Um, so um, she kind of becomes the the primary user of this AI child and the AI is told that she has to protect the kid um, from physical and emotional harm and then basically this AI goes absolutely batshit and starts <laughs> um, starts killing people, pushing people in front of cars, um, occasionally doing TikTok dances while murdering people. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it all just goes, it, it goes wrong and The Guardian did an article debating how close we are to this sort of thing happening and and the answer is not very but um they've spun an article out of it which is quite fun <laughs> but it's i mean surely they might say it's not very far away but surely that's what the robots want us to think ian and really it is just mm. probably weeks away from becoming cold hard reality uh i mean you know is this the future um and if it isn't the future i want to know why not but also i mean the, the whole area of these sort of programmable robots i mean i guess the question i would ask is does gary kasparov's sleepless haunted defeat stricken face mean nothing to these <laughs> people uh, we can't we can't risk it they're, they're all gonna they're all gonna attack. but then logically i guess if we're gonna leave robots 
and computers in charge of our economy, as we essentially do, is it not logical also to leave them in charge of our children, who are uh, units of productivity in the future economy? Alice, I know that's how you look at your own <laughs> child as a, as a potential future functioning economic unit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 people keep talking about how unrealistic this is, that, 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 that this AI robot goes mad and starts murdering people, and they talk about how far away we are from that. But of course, of course the AI childcare robot goes crazy. Children are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> You've never had a child stand at the foot of your bed and say, I can't sleep, there's a man behind you. Like, you haven't lived. <laughs> um. I mean, I've, I've got two uh, human children, decent quality ones, um, but we've not yet left them in charge of robots. But I, I don't really have a leg to stand on saying people shouldn't do this because we have left them in charge of an education system run by successive conserv conservative governments for, uh, well, a decade <laughs> each now. So I'm not really in a position to judge or lecture anyone. Uh, an interesting thing from this article um, uh, in uh, Katie Darling, who is a, a tech... tech um, Tech ethicistician, I think is the term. <laughs> Tech ethicistician at uh, MIT, which is the Massachusetts Institute for the Takeover of All Humanity by the Uncontrollable Robot Advancement. Uh, she said, people have completely <laughs> skewed expectations of what robotics can do at this point, thanks to movies like this. But is that not the whole point of movies like, of, about anything, to give us skewed expectations about, you know, about life, about, I mean, the, you know, skewed expectations, for example, about the power of love conquering all about aliens being covered in green slime, about uh, the ease of robbing banks, and about the likelihood of an uh, Italy-based political leader being slain by a vengeful, mortally wounded gladiator. I mean, that's what films are for, <laughs> to raise unrealistic expectations. My, my favourite sort of expert opinion in the article was um, there's a, a guy called Ronnie Bogani, who's an artificial intelligence ethicist and attorney for children's rights, which is a, a mad pair of professions, um, and he said, I don't know why we need a robot to have a head. Look at humans. We're a piss-poor design of a product. Why are we copying it with robots? And, and I think that's right. It does feel very arrogant of us when we design robots to think, to look at ourselves in the mirror and think, yeah, that's got to be the best. That's got to be the best we can do. Um, yeah, it just It's like feels... when economists talk, talk, talk about developing countries, like, oh, no, they have to go through, through child labour you know, and be paying people below minimum wage in unsafe conditions, because that's what we did. It's, it's, it's like the economics version of my parents hit me and I turned out fine. Like, it's you're just perpetuating horrible mistakes. I think mm. well, all robots should just be a, a ball. Yes, because ball, ball, as a sports fan, I know that the ball is, um, you know, a, a, a conduit to peace and happiness. <laughs> so, you're, you're quite right. Um, uh, but, I mean, the humans, I, I, I would agree... Humans are a terrible design, albeit I have lived in my own body for 48 years now, which is maybe not the best possible example of the human form. But <laughs> you know, you've got to say, I mean, look at human biology. It, it is a terrible... As anyone who's ever owned testicles or a womb uh, or has had to fight mano a mano with a crocodile in a pond or run away from a cheetah or take on a condor in a who-can-stay-afloat longest after jumping off this high rocky outcrop contest, we are <laughs> shitly designed by comparison with a lot of other creatures on this earth. Yes, but in compensation, God gave us smugness. <laughs> <laughs> that sets that smugness and opposable thumbs are really what set us apart <laughs> in the evolutionary race. <laughs> of course, technology uh, 
wasn't just invented yesterday uh, not all of it anyway uh, although an increasing amount of technology on a daily basis was invented yesterday but it goes back to many yesterdays ago and uh, scientists have discovered that apparently it was not humans that made the first tools but monkeys um, are uh, ap cousins um alice uh, you are our um prehistoric technology advancement correspondent um tell us what the what were the monkeys doing and why have they been sitting on their laurels ever since and not really inventing you know anything like uh, a chatbot or a or or a robot um robot child andy this news makes me think my monkeys are even smarter than i did before faced with the option of choosing to develop their tool use uh, and become sophisticated they threw that away I've seen TikTok. I know where tool use leads. Take me back to that monkey magic moment where we decided to copy that monkey and develop tools and make the other call. You want me to choose tool use, the same thing that killed Julius Caesar? No, thank you. I'll take the other fork and put the fork down and go back to hand life. Simpler times. If I can't cut it with my teeth, I'm not interested. Actually, as a woman... uh, I am very pro tool use, but I can understand why your sort of Andrew Tate types would be against anything that would remove the natural advantage men have over everyone else at having testosterone and aggression so that they can die trying to bore an antelope to death. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking there. That's actually, did you know that's the evolutionary genesis of podcasts? Because uh, when you're chasing down prey, humans' advantage in hunting is persistence. So basically, you just pick a deer and Joe Rogan it until it falls down dead. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's, that's again, that's it, along with uh, opposable thumbs and uh, <laughs> what was the other? What's the other one? The hu- the our evolutionary advantages. Uh, smugness. 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 That's it. There. Um, sm- smugness. And tedium. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, other technology news, a big breakthrough for uh, Europe, the renowned continent, and uh, with the discovery of rare metals that are crucial in the uh, the, the manufacture of uh, things like uh, smartphones and uh, all the other shit that's taken over uh, the world, um, and uh, a huge stash of it apparently has been found in uh, the Arctic region of Sweden, which could potentially reduce uh, the dependence on Chinese and uh, Russian uh, products. Uh, I mean, this is something we don't o- often think about, I think, when it comes to technology, is the you know, where all this stuff comes from, because it sort of arrives magic, magically in a very neat box, and there's no sense that, that anything happens to create it other than the wonders of technology itself. Uh, but, I mean, this... this, uh, this I mean, I, I guess, you know, in terms of the, the kind of human history, you know... It, does is a thing really important unless we've fought a massive war for it and if you know if we have this stuff in europe does that not reduce the potential for um global conflict and is that a good thing or a bad thing um bad bad right i've just gone with it it was a 50 50 um question (laughs) that's the correct answer i've hedged my bets there um i do i do think um yeah, it's weird that something that, like with phones, something that we've become so reliant on is made out of something so rare. It's like sort of making life support machines out of dodo meat or something. <laughs> um, but I, also, I think, so they found one million tonnes of rare resources, which feels sort of like 
I don't think you can call them rare now. <laughs> <laughs> one one million tons feels like like they say. Um, I don't know. Like pandas are rare, but if there was one million tons of worth of panda, <laughs> you'd probably be thinking about culling some of them. <laughs> well, not if it was just one giant panda that weighed a million tons. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd, um, the zoo that the zoo that gets that one would be over the moon. <laughs> I'm probably visible from the moon. Yeah. I mean, it's so exciting, Andy. Rare earth minerals in Europe at last. I cannot wait for the Tories to start pitching sending refugees to the salt mines to earn their Union Jack brand. <laughs> I just Don't. feel like... Alice, you should know by now not to say things like that out loud. You just can't be too... You never know... To quote the World War II poster, you never know who's listening. And it was probably some 23-year-old PPE graduate... <laughs> <laughs> working, working at a high level in the government behind the scenes. Uh, Italy news now. I know a couple of huge stories coming out of Italy uh, this week. Uh, the arrest of one of the leading Italian mafia bosses and some, frankly, harrowing uh, alleged pigeon death news. Um, uh, should we start with the... Maybe we should start with the the, uh, the the pigeon death. This is a truly extraordinary story, um, in which Michael Bay, the film director, has denied allegations that a pigeon was fatally injured on a film set in Italy whilst he was making the movie Six Underground, which are also words that I say when listing my top eight favourite ways of getting around London. Uh, it comes just ahead of overground train and obviously ahead of bus, but behind jetpack, horse, dragon, motorised unicycle and submarine, which is a bit restricted, but is a fun way of going east to west and west to east. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary story, this. That, that I don't know what it, what it tells us about the state of our species, that this story, a film director denying that a pigeon may have been killed <laughs> five years ago on a film set, has made made the news i guess five years on the the relatives of that pigeon won't forget <laughs> you know they, they won't let this story die and they're, they're going to keep bringing it up um but yeah it does feel mad that michael bay who is like renowned for making films with so much destruction is having to defend himself for killing a single pigeon it feels like <laughs> the least michael bay thing that could happen to michael bay um <laughs> His, his lawyer as well said um, that this story had tarnished Bay's reputation as someone who fiercely supports animals, financially and otherwise. <laughs> what is otherwise? <laughs> what? Emotionally. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to see him doing whatever otherwise is to a pigeon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know a, little, a little song, could write it a poem. Yeah. 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 Great job. That statue will never be the same. <laughs> I can barely tell that you've only got one toe on that foot. <laughs> but again, I mean, it's, you know, this story essentially is film director denies belated allegation that one, brackets one, of the world's estimated 400 million pigeons may, and I emphasise, <laughs> may have been accidentally clonked to death or at least clonked into a bit of a dizzy spell 
on this film set almost five years ago, although no evidence of pigeon death has yet been presented, and this happened in 2018, a year in which humans ate over 70 billion of the allegedly dead pigeons' bird community colleagues. It's... it's what are we trying to distract ourselves from that this story <laughs> is one of those distractions? It's got to be big. I think it's I think it's a sign that we've all become much more sensitive to, to animal rights. Uh, I don't know if you know the uh, famous children's movie Milo and Otis, but they just shot like a hundred dogs off a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that film. No, that, you know, yeah. it sounds like an interesting <laughs> family watch. It's a lot of kit. It's a, it's a heartwarming story about a kitten and a puppy that go on an adventure together. But let me just say, the kitten and the puppy that start the adventure in real life are not the kitten and puppy that are there at the end of the film. <laughs> Um, the uh, the um, mafia. I know, Ian. You before you went into comedy, you did you you had you worked for several years in the Sicilian uh, mafia. Mm. Um, t- <laughs> tell us what that was like. You know, someone from uh, from Humberside. You put the silly in the Sicilian <laughs> mafia. <laughs> Well, the worst part of um, being in the mafia, or, or just the most self-conscious part, is when you're given your mafia nickname, because <laughs> it's sort of really quite a sort of reveal. It's usually a physical thing. Um, so uh, th- this guy who um, they've sort of captured was called the Skinny One. So you just feel horrible because they get you in a room and there's maybe like 10, 20 of the other mafia gang there and they basically brainstorm your nickname <laughs> in front of you. So um, I had like a, a lot of people, like as you can see, would call me eyebrows. I got eyebrows straight away. Um, so Ian Eyebrow Smith. Someone shouted out low self-esteem. Um, I didn't really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, that's that's the tough part. The, the sort of killing and the murders is is okay, really. Because one, one, once you've had your self-esteem battered like that, nothing really affects you anymore. Um, oh, that was an interesting in, insight into uh, into mafia life. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, this chap, he, his nickname was uh, the diabolical or the skinny one. And he, he's, a, he's a Nepo baby. His father was a powerful mafia boss. And he just, he just stepped into his father's shoes, presumably after killing his father. I don't know <laughs> the details. Uh, but yeah, how can, how can he be proud of all of the murders that he achieved, uh, knowing that it was just through family influence? <laughs> oh, wait, isn't that the whole mafia deal? Wait, wait. <laughs> He um, he once claimed he apparently he said I filled a cemetery all by myself, which is only terrifying if he means like bodies and not flowers. He's <laughs> <laughs> a very generous man. Or strawberries, even. Yeah, my my favourite bit about this story is that they've they've tracked him down, but they there were so few pictures of him, like from the past, that they basically had to guess what he would look like. So they've basically been looking for, like, a 70-year-old man with, like, an evil look or some, <laughs> some sort of vague... It, it'd be like if, if you got a Where's Wally book and the only description you were given was you're looking for a man in his 30s. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they did these, uh, these uh, generation, like, AI-generated uh, pictures of him aged up which is all data that you provided by putting, uh, playing that stuff on social media. So everyone who did one of those silly aged-up photos of themselves should feel uh, proud rather than ashamed. I, I, like, um, I like the little fact in this article that uh, he was known for wearing expensive suits, a Rolex and Ray-Ban sunglasses, you know, unlike every other mafia guy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a quirky trait, you know. 
They've apparently like arrested quite a few people in the past thinking it was him because of the kind of like um, having so little to go on. But the, the best one, they said um, a Liverpudlian man was arrested in Amsterdam at one point. It just seems a Liverpudlian. The, the idea that as well as getting corrective plastic surgery, you'd be like, right, I'm going to learn a Scouse accent. <laughs> There's no way. I'm going to have a Liverpool third kit on and a Scout accent. <laughs> To be fair, it is a very unconvincing accent. <laughs> like, what's he trying to do? What's this guy trying to do? Yeah. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, a quick plug uh, is uh, we have a sale on. Bugle merch, I've been reliably informed, is reduced by 40%. Uh, if you go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the merch button uh, also if you want to join our voluntary subscription scheme and give a one-off or a current contribution to help keep this show free flourishing and independent that's also on the website uh, click the donate button uh, for that uh, ian it's been uh, lovely to have you on uh, on the show do you have any uh, any live or other works you'd like to alert our listeners to i guess my my career is in the sort of situation where when i do a podcast i'm all, all I can really say at the end, I guess, is just wishing everyone all the best. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm, I guess I'm, I'll be doing the Edinburgh Fringe this year, so maybe, um, I don't know, keep an eye out on sort of my socials and stuff like that. I'll be doing work in progress and, and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I'd love to be able to announce a sort of bigger, um, a bigger event. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, after that, for your first appearance on The Bugle, that was that has fitted right in to our proud long tradition of totally failing to market ourselves. So well, you're, you've, you've 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 slotted slotted right in. Um, Ian was on the news quiz uh, last week, which you can find on BBC Sounds, and did uh, one of the finest <laughs> finest jokes uh, that I've had the pleasure of uh, hearing in my time as host of the news quiz. I do find that, and uh, he'll be on again this week. Uh, as well Alice anything to plug uh, aside from the Bugle's sister podcast The Gargle The Bugle's sister The Gargle the sonic glossy magazine to the Bugle's audio newspaper for a visual world is available weekly with me on it doing talking Uh, also I've just launched season two of Tea with Alice Um, season one was 298 episodes long and then I took a year (laughs) off and now it's back um, so that's exciting. Um, Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to go for all of my stuff. Also, if you want to come, I have weekly salons where we have a chat and weekly writers meetings. So uh, that's a thing that you can sign up for. Uh, we will be back uh, next week and we will now play you out uh, with some more people on the Bugle Voluntary Subscribers Wall of Fame and their great contributions to human advancement. Niall Jackson plotted out the course of eight of the ten largest tributaries of the Amazon River when it was designed, without which it would have run out of water by now. Kirk Roberts designed the first ever space hopper. At 20 metres in height, it would have enabled a family of four to bounce down a motorway at up to 65 miles an hour if they got into a rhythm. Sadly, it was never produced. Christian Kaiser suggested that Morse code use a combination of dots and dashes rather than a combination of the word Morse and the word Lewis, as originally planned by its inventors, who absolutely loved the British TV show Morse. 
Ken Samuels was the person who revolutionised basketball by suggesting the real basket on a high shelf be replaced with the bottomless pseudo-basket with which we are so familiar today. Deborah Swain discovered what the function is of the famous shell part of the tortoise. People always assumed it was defensive, explains Deborah, but in fact it was acoustic, so the tortoise could sound better when it sang to itself, a bit like Jimi Hendrix playing his guitar in the toilet. Justin Livernois was the person who suggested using solid bats in baseball rather than frozen or fossilised snakes, a move which really paved the way for today's generation of power hitters. Kieran Johnston discovered that the plots of most of Shakespeare's plays were essentially copied from a mid-to-late 16th century celebrity gossip magazine, Scuttlebutt Today. And finally, Lisa Pavlik disproved the widely believed historical theory that the 7th century didn't happen, a theory that gained traction because no one in a survey of 100 random members of the public for a TV game show could think offhand of anything particularly noteworthy that happened during it. To join the Bugle Wall of Fame, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>